Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Today on the program, uh, we have Michael MacArthur. Um, I had a really great chat with Michael MacArthur and uh, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Um, yes, I do see this fly that is flying around. If, if, if you're tuning into this program um, and you turned into the last program, you will know that uh, there's a fly that is chasing me. This is second taping in the same sitting, I'll just be honest. Uh, and so that fly is still here. I have not caught it uh, and uh, it needs to die a horrible death is what's happening. Um, but we'll see if that happens. Um, all right. So we'll get into Michael McDonald in a little bit. Uh, I want to continue talking about my camping trip with my buddy Joe and our families. We, br we brought our kids up to the coast uh, this last weekend, a week ago, um, uh, and, uh, and really had a great relaxing trip. That was the point. I was really looking forward to it, to be honest, because I've been working really hard at work and, uh, and it's just keeping me so busy and I just needed a couple of days off, a couple of days to get away and hang with my buddy, just chill, relax and have, have some fun. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool. I don't think we were shooting b-ball outside of the school though. Uh, so, uh, but we were, we were hanging out by the beach um, and, uh, and enjoying time with our families and, and that's exactly what I needed and he, uh, he had a good time as well. So. Um, we brought some games. Um, I really taught Joe how to play Yahtzee and uh, I have this Yahtzee set that is easily over 30 years old. Um, I've had this set since I was a kid and I have a lot of the game cards from when I was younger also and from over the years, people I've played with, friends over the years, my ex-wife, my ex-girlfriend and uh, you know, like, uh, you know, the game has followed me around. My daughter, Games that we played. I was just flipping through some of the cards while we were out camping and I actually found one with Joe uh, that had like four or five moves on it and I'm sure it was like we were in and then something else there was a fly or something right and uh, and then got distracted and then the game never finished so um, I was surprised at this time we were actually able to finish three games of Yahtzee the first in which Joe beat me the first two games are not anything to write home about I'll just say that as well um, but uh, but then we brought George Joe's son in uh, to play and, and taught him. And he's a quick learner. He's he's good with numbers. Uh, he is about to turn seven actually, and um, and he uh, he's good at adding. He's and so he picked up on the game really quickly. Um, and, but you know, I ended up winning that third game. And if you had uh, all three scores from Joe's and I's game together, I beat him by just a handful of points. But uh, but it was fun to play Yahtzee and uh, and Mario Uno. We played with the kids and uh, and you know and just had some games around to to be able to to play while we hung out. We hung out by the fire at nights and uh, roasted mellows. We, I mean, we kept it simple. We had dogs and burgers for lunches and dinners and. Um, Joe made pancakes. He was on cooking duty because I'm not allowed around uh, that sort of stuff. But he's a better—he's absolutely a better cook than uh, than I am. So he he uh, he handled that stuff. And uh, and yeah, we went down to the beach a bunch of times. And uh, you know what? I actually kind of want to show a picture uh, for those that are watching on on YouTube of one of the things that uh, that we saw on the beach that that my kids are super uh, well super excited about. Um, and when I say yeah, my kids, I mean my daughter Ferg and, uh, and her, uh, my buddy Joe's son George. Uh, I mean, and they 
they had stumbled uh we went when we went down to the beach there were some jellyfish let's say right uh and there were more than just a few jellyfish there were a number of jellyfish like dozens and dozens of large jellyfish that were um on the beach and uh and beach out so they made it their priority to uh to go and try and save these jellyfish i was like kids you're not going to be able to save them all uh sorry you need to uh we need to go back and uh and hang by the campsite but but they had a good time trying to save them and uh, i was surprised that i mean there's more jellyfish there than i'd ever seen and they weren't just on the beach they were in the water of course as well we saw so many jellyfish uh but that was one of the cool experiences that, that we got to uh got to take in and besides that it was just hanging around it was just hanging around and it was all fun until we uh the way back um we were getting back to napa where we were going to meet you know joe at his house and um and unload and i was going to take his dog gus that i um, that i'm hanging with for a week uh and george threw up uh george threw up in calistoga so he had pulled over and i took atticus my son out of joe's car and back into my car and we made it the rest of the way back but they were plugged into the switch for too long. Joe didn't pull the plug on that. And uh, he probably should have a little bit earlier uh, because they were just sucked in the whole ride and it wasn't, it was, did not turn out well. So um, too many screens, I'll say. Um, all right, well, that's the story. It was a good, great, great camping trip. We have next year already booked. So I'm super stoked to, uh, to have that already lined up for, uh, for next year. And, uh, and I love kind of building these traditions and routines with uh, with our friends and having these things that we can count on each year. Uh, Joe and I are pl already planning on doing another century ride in, uh, uh, when that comes around because that was so much fun and what a challenge it was to, you know, that we were able to, to work on together. So those sort of things are super cool for me. Um, all right. So we're going to bring in Michael MacArthur here. Uh, and uh, And again, we had a really great chat. Uh, uh, he has a new album that is coming out on September 16th called Milky Stars. He played a couple of songs for the program too, which was even more awesome. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to Michael and, uh, and here's my chat with Michael. Hey, Michael, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. No complaints over here. So yeah, your, your day going well so far? Yeah, yeah, it's going well. Um, I'm in a, I'm in an overcast Nashville, Tennessee right now at an Airbnb. So, but not it's good. Too, not too shabby. So, uh, Airbnb. So, what you doing out in Nashville? Got band rehearsals this week. So we've got some, uh, we've got some uh, shows coming up, like a radio conference in Boulder, Colorado, Americana Fest, a big album release show in my hometown in September. So we're just starting rehearsals for all those things. Oh, nice. I, I like it. So hope, hopefully you got a, you know, the Airbnb has all the amenities that you need and you're, you know, you're set from that perspective, right? So yeah, we got a, yeah, we got a kitchen and we got a, uh, most importantly, a washer and a dryer. I, I like it. And, and I'm sure Nashville for you, I mean, uh, there's a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of artists in the area and kind of vibe in terms of culturally to, uh, toward music that you like. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, we, we, I recorded my upcoming album in Franklin and um, we actually stayed in this Airbnb for three weeks while I was doing that. So anytime this one's open uh, and I'm coming to Nashville, I try to book it just to kind of channel that same energy. 
and it's nice and we and i know exactly where it is you get parking right out front and um it's comfortable so we always end up back here yeah yeah very cool well thank yeah. you for oh i'm yeah. not i'm not west uh in the bay area like outside of sacramento a little bit okay yeah 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 a little bit earlier over there then a little bit but i i'm an early riser like i think you are so yeah, you know my, yeah. my day my day starts i get on the peloton every morning 5 a.m hour and you know and get into it from there so i you know there's no slowing me down <laughs> amazing yeah yeah um yeah so i want to start kind of from the the beginning a, a little bit and uh, and i know you said you play a, a couple songs here too so i don't know if you want to do one early and then maybe toward the end what are you thinking Whatever I mean, I'm I'm here for you and and uh, and for your audience, and it doesn't matter to me. Okay. Well, why don't we start with the song up front then, before we dig into into the okay. inter interview too deep. Um, so, uh, listening to your new album, which we'll we'll get into, um, uh, the one that really really stuck out to me was uh, "Winding River." Can you mm -hmm. first tell me tell me about that song, and is that is it possible you might be able to play that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that. It was interesting because that song, uh, probably a couple years ago, I had, I was just messing around, and every time, every time I have an idea, I try to record it on my phone, or if I'm at home, I'll make a recording of it in my little home studio, just to log the idea. So I had that that sort of finger picking, and that's all I had, and it just kind of repeated, and for whatever reason at the time, I guess it just wasn't. Um, it wasn't the right time to write the song. So when I was shuffling through ideas two years later, I came across it. I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. And, um, and I wrote Winding River. And for me, Winding River is probably the most important song lyrically on the album. It's the, it, it comes last on the album. It's the last track for a reason because it, it, it sort of encapsulates the entire record. And um, it's a special song. I, I love that one. It's uh, the lyric is how I stay connected to a song. And for me, if the lyric's not really right, then the song's not right. So that one, I, I just, it's really special. Yeah, I love it. Well, I'd love to hear it if you're, if you're good to play it. Yeah, let's do it. Come sit and talk to me Your wooden skin has gone soft and pale You can trade LA for New York City And free will for the wishing well Hold fast my love, eyes on me Oh, the winding river it's hard to read, think of giving up, well don't you dare, or oh, the winding river leads somewhere. Well that's it, it's over now, made plans fold with yesterday's news couldn't find a way to work it out but you did all you could do 
hold fast my love Eyes on me For the winding river It's hard to read Think of giving up But don't you dare For the winding river Lead somewhere And there's light love in the morning Yes, there's light love in the morning. The milky stars are on fire again, and there ain't a man to guide you through. Places that you've never been, there's a universe in you. Love it, and uh, and I hope that you have neighbors at your Airbnb who get to hear uh, <laughs> that great music. There's like, there's like people walking around out here, so I just keep waiting up, waiting for somebody to come up to the window. It'd yeah, right. it'd be okay. I don't think there'd be yeah. any complaints. So <laughs> it's, I'm glad you like that one, though, man. That's um, that means a lot. Yeah, uh, and uh, and you say it encompasses you know the whole album, and I guess we can get into the album uh, a little bit because it even you know includes Milky Stars, which is the name of the album. So tell me about Milky Stars. So um, Milky Stars, the album. I you know I had had probably thirty songs or so that I had written um, over the course of the pandemic. Some of them came a little bit earlier, but. Uh, and we sort of pared down to the best 10 songs. There are 12 songs on the album, but when, we, when it was first made, there were only 10. So uh, Jakir King, the guy that produced it, introduced me to Transoceanic Records and they liked the album so much that they sent us back to Nashville to record two more songs. And that's how we got to 12. But uh, yeah, man, it's just a, um, uh, the, my hope is that when people listen to it, they will sort of, uh, take that ride and go on that journey. Uh, it's, there's a lot in there to be found. And um, because I wrote all the songs sort of during the same time, you know, during the pandemic, I was in, you know, kind of, I went through some in and out of some pretty dark places, like a lot of people did, you know, I went from being on the road on and off for 10 years to having no choice but to be home. And home was always a place of solitude and peace, and it still is, but when you have no choice but to be home, it kind of changes the game a little bit. So I spent more time alone than I ever had. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were super productive during the pandemic, but in those first few months, I wasn't because it was such a shock that 
it wasn't until about month four or five that I started writing songs. And, um, and uh, I had a few songs that I'd written and uh, Jakir King, the guy that produced the album, we weren't connected in any way, but if I could make an album at the time, if I could make an album with anybody, it was him. And I had no idea what I was gonna do next. It was like sort of for the first time in my career, I didn't have a plan. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just start thinking about making some more music at some point. I'll send him a message. It was actually a cold DM on Instagram. And uh, I sent him just a few demos that I made at home. And uh, totally not expecting him to write back or anything, but a couple of weeks later, he wrote me back and he was like, hey man, I love these songs, let's get on the phone. And, uh, and so we got on the phone, probably talked eight or 10 times uh, over the course of the fall, like the coming eight months, getting to know each other. Because his thing is, is like, first conversation we ever had, he was like, look, I love your music. I think you have something very special. And before we talk about making your album, before I can even think about doing that, I have to know who you are because I'm not, I can't make your best album unless I know something about you. Unless I know, I feel like I know who you are. And that's his approach. So we would get on the phone, we talk about life, we talk about family, uh, we talk about music. And so by the time I finally met him, in Nashville, when it came time to make the rep, the record, I felt like I already knew him a little bit. So it was it made me very comfortable, and the whole process was amazing. That uh, the three weeks that we were with him, um, and yes, that was sort of the beginning of Milky Stars. Yeah, and so what would you say that uh, Jakir uh, brought to the album that you know maybe you were you didn't envision kind of going into making the album? he he's sort of a master of so if my instrument is guitar and and song and the drummer plays the drums you know jakir likes to say his instrument's the studio but in my opinion his instrument are people he's a master of of getting the best out of people and creating an atmosphere where people feel comfortable and also are able to perform the best in that situation. So I would go in, to give you an example, we would go into the studio. I'd have no idea what we were gonna do that day. So we would record like two songs a day and he would feel the vibe of the room. Like what is the energy of the group as a whole? We'd have a coffee in the, his, his studio is in an old, like a 100 year, 125 year old house that he converted mm -hmm. into a studio. So there's a kitchen, there's like a dinette area, a big kitchen table and a long, uh, or a banquet. And you know, we all just sort of hang out in there and have coffee and talk and catch up. And he would sort of feel the vibe of the room and then say, I think we should do this song. And that's the song we would start with. Yeah. So he brought, he just brought this, I had a lot of input, you know, on technical things and uh, artistic things he's just an interesting he's got an interesting and very creative style he's not necessarily a musician yeah uh, he's not like uh he's not one of those producers that's sitting in with a band playing guitar or something like that sure but he feels music so deeply that if it doesn't feel good to him he'll try to communicate why that is yeah. Or, or if it doesn't feel as good as he wants it to feel, for, for example, if it's like, oh, we can get this to a place that's really special. What if you try something like this? And it's all, it's all based here. 
Yeah, and so so how close what did the final product of, uh, of of Milky Stars turn out to what you what you envisioned it would be? You know, when you came when you went into making this album, there were I mean there were some songs, some demos. Um, I can get carried away and I'll start putting like you know fake drums on and bass and key parts and guitar parts and all this stuff because I want to hear the potential of a song after I write it. And every song that I write always starts on guitar and it's always, it can always be played solo acoustic because that's how it was written. But sometimes I can't help myself. I'll just go into the, to my home studio and start, you know, fleshing it out a little bit. But some of the tracks were just uh, literally solo acoustic performances, just live performance, just would record it and send it to them. So those songs, some of those songs that were just acoustic performances turned out just completely, I had, and the thing is, is because I didn't have any expectation. I didn't know what, what could be done with it. And when you get a group of really incredible musicians in a room and let them do what they're best at, man, you get some really special results. So some of them turned out like I could have never have imagined. And then some of them are, are you know, relatively close to the demos. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful album. Uh, Thank I'll you. Say. I, I know you're probably excited for people to to be able to hear the whole thing. You know, you've released a couple of songs, but um, that's pretty I cool. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah. So let's let's go back. Um, tell me, what were you listening to as a child? Were your parents influential in your uh, musical tastes at, at all? Yeah. So I had an eclectic musical upbringing. My my mom is Puerto Rican, so she always listened to like salsa music, um, people like Julio Iglesias and Gloria Stefan and um, Jose Feliciano and stuff like that. And so that was always sort of playing in the house and she would like dance around the house. And, and, then, and then on my dad's side, my dad and my uncles, uh, my uncle specifically, when they were my age, they pursued music for a living and they write songs and they play guitar. And so there was always sort of music around around me I was always sort of around it and you know when I was a kid though I listened to oh man everything I listened to uh Boys to Men and Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson and um a lot of R&B when I was super young and I and I give credit to those artists for teaching me uh how to sing because I would just sing along to those uh to those records Bill Withers um and then as I got older, I would get into, uh, I got into other things like, you know, James Taylor and Tom Waits and, and John Prine and Bruce Springsteen. And anybody that, anybody that plays an instrument and if I could imagine them playing an instrument and sitting in a room somewhere writing a song, those are the artists that I related to the most because that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So, um, and, but I love all kinds of music, man. I listened to hip hop growing up. Uh, and, you know, through the, through the nineties, listen to, you know, I did listen to Nirvana and Pearl Jam still do and, um, Foo Fighters and Stone Temple oh, yeah. Pilots. And I mean, there's just, it goes on and on. Yeah. And, and so you did chorus as a child and you have a very unique, you know, amazing voice. Like was, how influential was your chorus as a child to finding your voice, uh, that, you know, to get you to where you are now? Man, I think, it, I feel like it, it's taken me a long time to find my voice. I mean, um, chorus was important, you know, 
it, yeah, starting in chorus uh, in elementary school, it's interesting because back then, you're making me think about it now, but back then when you're a kid, at least for me, I loved being up there. I was like, oh, I can't wait to sing in this thing with everybody, you know? But as I got older, I developed this sort of terrible stage fright and stopped, I, I, never, I didn't perform for anybody. So chorus was like really my only, um, as far as singing goes, performance experience that I had. And then in middle school, I was in band. Uh, and then when I was in high school, my grandfather bought me my first guitar and that's when I started writing songs and playing guitar, but I didn't play them for anybody. It wasn't my thing. It's like, I'm doing this for me. Uh, I would dream about having the courage to be on a stage and play for a lot of people. But in reality, I knew I just would never be able to do that. I wouldn't yeah. even play for my mom. My mom would be like, Mike, just play me a song. And I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So I'd wait till everybody left the house and then, you know, and then I'd pick up the guitar. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure choruses was important. You know, all those experiences are important, you know, just being around music uh, as much as I was lucky enough to, to be around was, I think was all important to uh, my development, I guess. Yeah. So you didn't have an itch to join like a high school band or, or it was, you were just too nervous kind of in that environment to be able to put yourself out there. I think that's what it was. I was the thought of, you know, being in a room and something like, oh, let's, yeah, let's play together. And then like, I have to now, you're performing in every situation, right? So um, yeah, I never, I wasn't, I wasn't in any bands in high school. It was always just yeah. me literally in my bedroom uh, playing, playing the guitar, playing the acoustic guitar and, and, and writing songs. Yeah. And so growing up in Lakeland, uh, Florida, did you, did you go to concerts as a teenager? Was there any that were influential to you? I didn't go to a lot of concerts. Um, it wasn't until I was, you know, cause when I, when I was 14, I got my first job and we weren't, we weren't poor by, by any stretch of the word, but we, we weren't, um, it was one of those situations where we basically, you know, there's four kids and my family had enough for what we had and that was it, you know? And so I got my first job at 14. My mom was very um, adamant about teaching us responsibility. You know, I wanted to play sports in high school, but I didn't because there were other things that were important to me, like being able to afford a car so I could get around. And um, if I wanted to, if there was a shirt I wanted or a pair of shoes I wanted, I had to pay for it, you know? So I bought my, bought my first car. And um, so having, so having to work, uh, I, I feel like I forgot the question now, but um <laughs> Going concerts on. first yeah, concert yeah right. so having to work and being busy uh i just didn't i didn't uh, go to very many concerts and it wasn't until you know i had like uh, enough money to make the drive because we live in a town called lakeland which yeah. is right between tampa and orlando and so to go to the good concerts you have to drive to tampa so being able to do that, i just i just didn't do it until you know start doing that until really i was like 18 19 20 you know, but uh, but now I, I see a lot of music and I've seen some incredible shows and they, I always leave inspired. I'm just like, man, that was amazing. Like um, I went to see James Taylor a few years ago. It was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. Went to see 
Bonnever uh, at a theater in Charleston, South Carolina, blew me away. Um, who did I see recently that I was just like, uh, Citizen Cope at the Tampa Theater, if you know who Citizen Cope is. He was amazing. Yeah, just so many great shows, so many different types of shows too. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really awesome. Um, and and so uh, you launched a bistro with your your brother when you were you know uh, you know a couple of years past high school, and uh, and that kind of introduced you to your your wife also, right? So um, so tell me tell me about kind of that chapter of you know what that did for you, and was there any musical kind of tie in there? Yeah, so uh, Black and Brew, the name of the cafe, that was sort of you know. I, was never really into school like I would go do it and I made you know good grades and all that stuff but I for me I just wanted to work and be with my friends and uh, so graduating from high school my brother and I decided to open up this cafe and it was also I think my way looking back uh, my way of preventing myself from having to to pursue music for a living and and the way that I stayed connected to music at the cafe was I was responsible for booking all the artists because we would have people come in and perform. So I would book the artists. I would work. I would work all day, you know, six o'clock in the morning. The music would start at eight. And then I'd also close the restaurant, you know, 11 or whatever. And I would just be wow. there. I, I wanted to be there because the, the I was looking like, all day looking forward to whoever it was that was coming to play. And uh, and I would run sound and and get meet the artists and stuff and hang with them or whatever. But that was sort of how I stayed connected to it. And 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 as far as meeting my wife goes, yeah, she uh, I'd noticed her a couple of times. She would come in with friends and things. And I would the way that my brother and I ran the restaurant was I was always in the front at the register, and he was always in the back in the kitchen. So I loved to be around people. And he was like, "Dude, that's all you. I would make the sandwiches. No big deal." And um, and one day um, she came in, but she was with a friend of mine from high school. And I was like, this is my chance. Cause I'm not, I don't have, I didn't, it's like, I'm not some suave dude, man. I didn't have any game. <laughs> like, I did not have the courage to go up to this girl and talk to her. So, but I had a segue cause I could go up and talk to her friend, you know, cause she, I knew her from high school. So yeah, that's how we met. And um, my roommate and I had them both over later on that week. And we made them dinner and just hung out at, at, at our apartment at the time. And I mean, we've probably spent just about every day together since, you know, we haven't spent much time apart. We, we're apart now, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really incredible. And what a great, great story. And, and talking about relationships, that kind of segues into uh, Josh Davis and making music with, with him. You've yeah. made music with him for 12 years. And, and I saw an interview that you two did together where you, you said you never had an argument. So tell me about the dynamic that, uh, that kind of built that and, uh, and kind of how you work together musically. Oh, man. Well, so we went to high school together, but we didn't really hang out in high school. And then when I, when I left the restaurant to start, you know, to, to start pursuing music, I, uh, in that transition, uh, I, w I went and worked, I managed the Starbucks and Josh worked at the Starbucks too. So we'd start, you know, this was, man, this was, Josh is here actually. He's, yeah, uh, yeah um, uh, that was probably, 13 or 14 years ago 
So we would just start like, just dreaming about making music together. And fast forward a couple years, we moved in together. We lived together for five years. We had a little music room in the house that we were living in. And we would just every day just go in there and play and make demos. And um, and he has, there was a stint where he moved to Tacoma, Washington for like two years. So we didn't play together much for those two years. But that was that in, in the last 13 years, those two years were the only years that we didn't play together. He's played almost every show with me, travels with me. You know, we've got band rehearsals this week, so that's why we're together now. Does all the radio stuff uh, with me. And um, yeah, he's just been, aside from myself, he's the person that gets uh, the music and understands and has a, a relationship with the music on a deep level. Uh, and so for, for me, that's incredibly invaluable. Because if I, if I, we, if we can, we can talk about a song, I can talk about a song with him like I'm speaking to myself because he knows it just as well as I do. Yeah, which is amazing. It's it's great to have that connection, and I, you know, kind of see similarities with my best friend. You know, we went to high school together, but didn't hang out, you know, either, and mm -hmm. uh, and then kind of started, you know, friendship through, you know, working together at a, a burger place, and yeah. uh, you know, and then he was like hosting a tv show with uh, with me that i did and you know that kind of spawned our, our friendship so it's uh, uh some similarities there yeah um, yeah uh, so nice i, I want to oh go ahead it's nice to have a friend man it's like you know for those two years that i was he was in tacoma and i was essentially on the road alone you know sometimes sleeping in my car or crashing on somebody's couch but all the driving everything i was completely alone and that was an important time for me. Uh, and I, it was something that I had to do, but there's nothing like having these experiences because life is such a beautiful thing, but having somebody to share it with is, it changes yeah. it, it changes everything. Oh, for sure, 100%, you know, someone who gets you and understands, you know, and everything, and you can tie that in musically, you can jive there, like, I mean, that's, that's brilliant, so. Mm -hmm. It's, it's great. Um, you try to write every day. Like, tell me about that discipline that you have for your, yourself to, to just write something and kind of, whether it's a song or a poem or what have you, tell, tell me where that comes from. Well, I'm not always successful. I don't want to, I don't want to give off the impression like I have this um, perfect track record because uh, uh, I don't, but I do try to write something um, every day. And, and it, it's like, you know, it's just, it's sort of just keeping the pencil sharp. You know, for me, it's, it's different. Every artist is different, but I have just noticed that I am the most productive from a, a creative standpoint when I am writing every day than when I'm just waiting for something to hit me, you know. Uh, and artists, other artists talk about this too. It's like, you don't wait for inspiration, you have to invite inspiration. And how you do that is by, uh, you know, picking up a pencil and a, and a piece of paper and an instrument. So you can't, you can't write unless you write, you can't write a song unless you've got, the, unless you pick up that pencil. So um, it's just, it keeps, it, it, for me, it keeps my mind constantly thinking about words and putting words together and and understanding thoughts that I have 
and making sense of those things. You know, one, one of the things that's important to me is that even if you are sort of communicating a theme that's been communicated before, and most of the themes on the earth have been communicated already in song, but there's always a, a different or more interesting way to say something. One that's one that is uh, specifically related to your own personal experience. There's a, there's something interesting that you can say. So it's not like instead of like oh my baby left and she broke my heart. You know, there's a more interesting way to say that. Maybe it's a metaphor. Maybe it's not. But um, the, I start I think about those things. You know, and yeah. I mean, I love to write. Writing is fun for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, have you wrote a lot of poems that you kind of uh, think are, you know, not songs, but this is like, you know, this other creative outlet for you? Yes, I mean, I've written hundreds of poems over the wow. years and, and every, you know, I have a book of them. And, and so I'll just like, go through. And if there's a, an interesting line in there, I might pull it out and put it in a, in a song. I've done that a bunch. And and I've, and I've also, you know, written some articles and things for, for local magazines. And um, if, if my wife ever needs help writing like a, a, an email or something, you know, I'll go in and she always sends it to me. So I'll go in and edit it. Even that's fun for me because I like seeing what other people, how other people write. But if there is a more fluid way to say it, or maybe it's something is redundant or can be shortened and more concise, that's even fun for me because to me that directly ties into the uh, editing process so like I'll write a song and I always start on like with a pencil and a notebook and I'll just jot down a bunch of ideas and and then I'll get it into a structure that I think could be the finished product and then when I get to that point I type it up on my typewriter uh, because for me that songs songs only exist in the air and so as musicians, we don't get to create, I'm like jealous of painters and um, and people that create these tangible items, like even people that make guitars and stuff. It's like, I wish I could create something that physically existed so I could see it, you know? And so that's my way of doing that, it's typing it up on a typewriter. And then I pull it off the typewriter and that's the song. And then I'll put it away for a while. When I come back to it, when it comes time to record it, I'll go through and make you know, further finesse the lyrics, you know, even if it's taking out the word and or the or something, if it feels better, I'll cross it out, you know, with a pencil um, at that time. Well, so from a tangible perspective, have you thought of publishing your book of poetry? Like, I mean, you have so many poems, have you thought, you know, putting that out there? I have, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, man, I, when you read, when you read people like, um, I don't know, when you read people like, uh, Leonard Cohen and and um, Sylvia Plath and like people that are at, you know uh, uh, Bukowski and like people who are actually brilliant poets. I don't know. I don't know if it's maybe it's good enough. Maybe it's not. But I, I guess for me, it's like I'm a songwriter and that's what I do. And maybe one day I will if I've if I've collected enough and I can really somebody can help me really pull out the ones that matter. Um, yeah. maybe it would mean something to somebody some, at some point. I'm sure. I mean, you, you have uh, fans, you have a following, and uh, and that would have a, you know, a place also for them where it could resonate. And, mm -hmm. you know, and it's there, it exists, right? So uh, I don't think it's too far of a stretch. 
very true. I encourage yeah. you to do it. So. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about your favorite supporting slot opening for Shaky Graves. Uh, tell me about that experience. Oh, that was fun. Um, yeah, it was just that one show in Orlando. And I had reached out to his, this is before I had any, I mean, I was, I did for, for 10 years, I did everything, um, well, 12 years, I did everything on my own, booked all my own shows. I was my manager. I was the artist. I was, I was everything. And so I reached out to his management and agent and said that, noticed that they didn't have anybody opening that show. And I asked to, and I asked to open and the whole thing was, was, was everything that you would want it to be. So is that this venue called the Plaza Live and the show was standing room only, which there's probably, my guess is uh, probably between 900 and a thousand people there, all at the stage. So go out, play the show. The crowd was electric. People were clapping. They were at the quiet songs. They were, you could hear a pin drop. Um, and for a standing room only crowd waiting to hear Shaky Graves and they're listening to a guy playing solo acoustic, you know, uh, they were just so, so uh, respectful and polite and energetic when they needed to be. Absolutely loved that show. And then went backstage. I hadn't met, um, I hadn't met the guys yet in, uh, in, in the band. So went back there. It was, it was actually Cinco de Mayo. So they had a bottle of tequila and um, I just hung in the dressing room. Then we'd pass around a bottle of tequila and I'll drink from it and whatever, whatever. And, and then they went, went and played their show. So it was awesome. Yeah. What a, what a fun experience. Yeah. Um, how, how far have you been able to tour? I have played mostly just up and down the East Coast. So when you live in Florida, it is, I mean, it's such a big country. Uh, so I've, I've played from Florida to Maine and back so many times. I mean, just up and down, up and down, because that's an easy, I mean, you can get to, you know, you can get to Boston in uh, whatever, 17 hours or something like that. So two couple of days, but so it's not, you can, and you also like, especially in the Northeast, we have Boston and New York and Philadelphia, and there's so many things that you can, so many places you can hit in that concentrated area, so many big cities. So, um, and yeah, I haven't done the West Coast much at all, just basically the East Coast. Do you see yourself kind of working in that direction? Like it's, I know it takes a lot of build up to, to do, you know, a tour to that, to that magnitude, but do you see that kind of happening in the coming years? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so with the, um, the, having a team makes such a big difference, man. And they are working on putting together a tour now for, um, for when the album comes out and I'm sure I'll just be touring indefinitely. So I could be anywhere uh, and I would like to be anywhere and everywhere. So, but we, with the, on the radio side, you know, doing radio tour stuff, we're actually, we're flying to Boulder, Colorado to do a radio festival show um next week and then from there doing radio stations in colorado and new mexico and then flying to los angeles to do a few stations and then flying home so it, everything is is sort of gr growing outward uh now that that there's a team involved which is really sweet you don't have time built in to go to red rocks while you're in colorado do you uh i don't know if i do this trip but I have been, and it You've is. You've been there, okay. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing, right? Like, it was a thing where, 
yeah, I talked to so many bands, of course, right? And they're, I mean, they all talk about how magical that place is. So I'm like, I got to go there. And uh, and I, I made the trip out there to see Weird Al uh, in the yeah. Colorado <laughs> Symphony. And, you know, who else do you want to see it? Amazing. In, in oh, Weird Al. Oh, I mean, it was incredible. I've seen Weird Al a number of times, but, okay. you know, but in that in that venue, you know, where, I mean, going in, I mean, it was misty and there was, you know, a rainbow over the ro rocks and everything. And it was everything that everybody had told, you know, about the venue. It's just this built in, you, you've been there, right? So it's this built into the rock kind of amphitheater that has so much history to it itself. And so many bands, it's like this milestone for them to be able to play there, you know? It is definitely a bucket list thing. And it's one of those places that is, it, it's impossible to describe. You have to experience it to understand what it is. I saw Sturgill Simpson there and it was probably 45 degrees and raining and nobody cared. It was completely sold out. Yeah. Uh, and Sturgill came up with just a four piece band and they didn't, they played in like this half circle shape. So the keyboard and the uh, drums were almost in the front on the sides. The bass player was 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 here and then Sturgill was here. So like in a, like a half circle shape, four guys just sh shredding and playing to 10,000 people. It was amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. What a cool experience. Uh, well, before we wind out, you know, I want to see if you'll play one more song. Well, I will, um, you know, the the uh, management and the labor are, are always like you got to play the single you got to play, play the single so um so i'm gonna play uh, i'll play lady luck if that's all right with you it's perfectly great yeah okay. let's do it drunk again heaven knows i've been low before but i sure could use a friend lady luck i'll bet about a way lady luck i know i can change if you bet on short again heaven knows i've been broke before but i sure could use a friend lady luck i'm in a bad way lady luck i'm looking for a change Lady Luck, I'm in a bad way. 
beautiful. Sweet. Beautiful. I love it. <laughs> um, well, well, Michael, I want to thank you, you know, for taking the time today. I really uh, enjoyed our chat and uh, and the music. I mean, what a way to start the day, right? It's in, it's incredible. Uh, thank you, Steve. It's nice talking to you too. Thank you so much for having me, um, and um, I'm happy to do this. Yeah. Well, good luck with the album coming out and the, the tour that follows uh, with it and everything. And uh, um, and yeah, I'll shoot links along when it's live. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Nice talking to you, brother. That was the interview with Michael McDonald here on Concert Pipeline. And that takes us to the final segment on the program, the music news. All right, I have a couple of stories to wind out the program. Uh, a couple weeks back, I talked about Blink-182 and how Matt Skiba uh, didn't know if he was in Blink-182 anymore. He had told a fan who uh, who outright asked if he was in Blink-182 still. He's like, I don't know. Uh, and well, now there's a second part to this story that uh, is Tom DeLong and how he hints that he's finally rejoined Blink-182. Uh, so um, after years of swearing that his time with Blink-182 had not come to an end, uh, he he never thought it had, I think, was also part of the thing, right? He thought he was still in Blink-22, even when Blink-22 went on without him for years. Uh, he may be teasing that he's finally rejoined the band in an official capacity. Uh, rumors of the co-frontman's return began to swirl a few weeks ago when Matt Skiba, uh, uh, who replaced him in 2015 after DeLong left to change the world for his kids and, change, and chase UFOs, right? Admitted that he didn't know where he was part of the band. Later in the month, Blink themselves threw fuel onto the fire with a teaser for their upcoming Funko Pop collaboration, a series of figures celebrating the band's 30th anniversary, which features DeLong. Uh, though the band are yet to confirm whether or not De uh, DeLong has returned to the fray, the vocalist and guitarist has begun hinting that that could begin the case. Uh, he took to his Instagram profile uh, uh, with a classic photo of Blink in the 90s, captioned simply with the band's own handle. Uh, he's since updated his bio to include Blink alongside Angels and Airwaves in the mention of his musical endeavors. That much is especially notable for the fact that uh, the uh, he doesn't mention Boxcar Racer, uh, his short-lived side project of uh, with uh, Travis Barker, implying that he's only listing projects with which he is currently active. Uh, they've uh, NME has reached out to representatives of Blink-182 and Tom DeLong for comment. Um, but apparently got no nothing. Uh, their last show together went down uh, with, uh, or sorry, with Skiba went down um, in the early months of 2020 before COVID hit and before things went rough for Mark Hoppus with getting cancer and everything. Um, and so uh, Blink performed last October as part of Barker's House of Horrors broadcast. However, Skiba was not present. Um, and Tom DeLong is gearing up to release his directorial debut, Monsters of California, later this year. So lots of speculation around whether he's in the band. It would be cool if they get the band back together and Tom can actually commit to it, right? Um, okay. Let's talk about uh, our um, Green Day. Uh, let's talk about Green Day, actually. So uh, we talked a little bit last week about uh, Lollapalooza. Well, Green Day performed deep deep cuts at Lollapalooza war, uh, warm-up show. Before they headline uh, the uh, Sunday program, they played an intimate warm-up show and performed a whole host of deep cuts. Uh, and there was footage of that, of course. It was an 1,100 capacity uh, venue called the Metro in Chicago. 
they veered off their written set list, with, which according to reports was very similar to what they played on their recent Hella Mega Tour with Weezer and Fall Out Boy. Uh, according to fans, 19 of the 28 songs that they performed were not on the written set list, with the band leaning heavily on early albums for Plunk, Dookie, and Insomniac. And so, so cool. That would have been awesome to be there. Um, Church on Sunday and the title track from Warning. Oh gosh, it would be so cool to see Warning. I was just thinking about that song the other day too. I need to pull that out and play that right after I finish recording this podcast. It will happen. Uh, they, they were played for the first time live since 2001 while American Idiot Cut, uh, What's Her Name, was performed by the whole band for the first time since 2005. Uh, so they pulled out some of the old stuff. Uh, and that's that's super cool. I got to check out these videos. I got to check out Warning. I'm super, uh, super excited about this. And I want to see the set list of what they did as well. Uh, so uh, Lollapalooza, I'm sure was a hit. Arcade Fire uh, talked about the undying legacy of Taylor Hawkins. He's just a real deal rock and roller. Um, while Arcade Fire were on the ground at this year's uh, Oshiega Festival in Montreal, Canada, where they filled in for the Foo Fighters, Frontman Wynn Butler and guitarist Richard Perry spoke warmly about the late Taylor Hawkins. Prior to the headlining set, Butler and Perry uh, sat down with iHeartRadio where uh, journalist Rockman asked if their role of the festival, filling the space left by the Foos, who dropped out after Hawkins' passing in March, had left Arcade Fire feeling any pressure to succeed. First of all, if you're Arcade Fire, I don't think you feel any pressure. You're doing freaking great, right? You're Arcade Fire. You're an Arcade Fire. Come on. You're so great. You're in a great band. You don't have to worry about that stuff, right? Uh, though he didn't specify whether or not that was the case, Butler did note that he'd met with Hoskins a couple of times before he passed. Reflecting on his friendship with the late drummer, Butler continued, every single time I ever hung out with them, uh, we were just talking about music and reminiscing about old shows. He was just like a real deal rock and roller, you know? But I think sometimes people don't appreciate how much wear and tear uh, you know, getting up every night, going on stage and the relentless touring. It's a lie, you know what I mean? And there's collateral damage from doing it. Uh, so they talk further about Taylor Hawkins and, you know, paid tribute to him uh, in their in their way, which is um, which is really, really freaking awesome. So, uh, so that is great. Um, all right, that is the show for today. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you to Michael MacArthur for, uh, for being on the program as well. Uh, and uh, and next week on the program, we have Lillian Axe. Uh, so I had a really great chat with uh, uh, their, um, th uh, their member, Steve, uh, hold on, uh, Steve Blaze was his name. Uh, and, uh, and so we'll be bringing that to you next week on the program. So uh, thank you for tuning in. Like, subscribe, all the good stuff, comment. Um, love hearing from you, what you think about, about the program. Check out our old videos as well. We have lots of great stuff from over the years and, um, and tons of great YouTube content from, uh, you know, really rolling out since COVID hit. So uh, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time.